We're continuing where we left off. Welcome to Word is Truth. This is uh, Doug Presley. It is 9-5-2021. And we're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Taken from the page of chapter 2, verse 22. When I think about this fact, that when I think about the fact that we are being built together, I am reminded to focus on this form, the top down, or for God's eternal perspective. Just as the temple has within it, is what, it's the desires of God. To be seen by all creation in a way that satisfies God Himself. We can see the eternal temple, like meeting another desire of God, as with any building construction. It is always according to a plan, which looking on at the building process, it may seem unorganized. And we may wonder just what is going on, what is being built. One thing we should know, there are blueprints, a master plan, which spells out everything detailed of the construction, even the materials used. The blueprints are drawn up to a mirror on paper. The ultimate desire of the architect, we, Jews and Gentiles, are the building material in raw form. God took us and made us acceptable building materials through the baptism of the Spirit. Now, in Christ, we are being built together. When the verse says, you too, it is already a, refer a reference to our new identity in Christ. The build together thought is not the only for the combining of Jews and Gentiles to make us a new identity in Christ. It also refers to the fact that we are building celebrate for God. Talking from the thought of the week. Knowing that in Christ, it shows the identification that we are being baptized in him to understand that we are in Christ. So when we're in Christ, we are formed a new baptism of the Spirit. And baptism is directly referred to as we are identified us with Christ. I remember just listening to the conversation earlier that it referred to the seven baptisms and looking at number one is the identification, the baptism of Israel into Moses and the cloud. That's taken from first Corinthians chapter ten, verse one to two. Second, the baptism of the cross, also called the baptism of the cup. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. 
Number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, also in reference to First Corinthians chapter four, verse thirteen. Number four, the baptism of fire, taken by Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. Now the other three are the rich ritual identification. A ritual is being used to represent the identification has already overtake place in historical order that will also occur. The first one is the ritual of the baptism of John, taken from Matthew chapter three, verse one through ten. Number two, the baptism of Jesus, taken by Matthew three, from verses thirteen through seventeen. And the last one, the baptism of believers, also in Matthew chapter chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen. So, is real and reading? I think the seven baptisms. The, with the churches, we are identified with Christ. That's number one, that we are baptized under the baptism of Jesus Christ. I know in Acts it talked about what John baptized with work. Well, we never heard about the baptism of Christ, and I believe that in speaking of this, they gave a, 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 a description of have you ever heard of the baptism of the Spirit? And then at the moment they heard it, they were baptized and they were saved. So I'm referring to the part of the week, though, getting back to that, as the building plan that we believe that we are we are also under God's plan. God is the architect that we are formed. Like I bet last week we talked about there are many bodies, there are many Descriptions that that world as it's talked about the gift of the spirit. So this is what I take out of the thought of the week. At this time, we're going to give us hand us over to the white. He will lead us to prayer. Thank you very much, Dave. Okay. Um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and. and start with the prayer, but if you have anything specific in mind or on your heart, um, please think about those things and, and God will know what is on our heart. And um, so let me just go ahead and start. Dear Father, thank you for this fantastic opportunity that we have to come together with all the things that are happening in this world that could take our attention away from you. Thank you for giving us this time and, and motivation to uh, come together and talk about your eternal plan and how it affects us. After all, it was destined for our glory before time began. I pray for all of Word of Truth Christian Church and our members on this call and not on this call, that all of us may be mindful of the wonderful things that you have done for us in Christ. And let us think about those things for which we are thankful, with much gratitude, the things that are excellent and noble, and the things that are above. And um, help us to focus on each word that um, is spoken of about you and your, and your plan, um, as it pertains to us. And, and let us also remember the church worldwide as, as well. Um, there is much suffering in this world, the church suffering persecution, but also believers and non-believers alike suffering from the effects of natural disasters or man-made disasters. 
um, all kinds of troubles are going on this, going on in this world, and Jesus warned us about those things, and and uh, and told us not to worry about those things. But we have something that is much greater awaiting for us. As Paul says, he um, he doesn't he considers it uh, such a minor thing compared to um, what Christ has done for us. And there are those among us um, who are suffering issues of well-being and welfare. I pray for those, and and they are on my heart as well. And I pray that all of us would seek to grow into Christ, into the fullness of him, into the fullness of God, speaking the truth, uh, speaking the truth in love and um, remembering in our hearts um, the love of Christ, which cannot be separated by any means in all creation. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dwight and Dave. Thank you, too, as well. Um, we are continuing where we left off. We have, um, you have notes, and uh, this t- today is continued from 8-29-2021, where we began John sixteen twenty four, And we'll try to conclude that today. We have a little bit more to go. So it says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So, in your notes, all creation is part of the Father's eternal purpose, including all created beings. If the Father, Son, and Spirit did not choose to execute this plan before creation, then creation would not exist. Everything in this world, animate or inanimate, supports the Father's plan although passively. All human beings passively supported the Father's will, passively because they did not know they were contributing toward that end. However, as the plan is revealed, the disciples have opportunity to actively support this plan. If you ask how, it is through their knowledge of it and their active participation in it. So we covered half of this um, until now we talked about uh, what that meant and how yes they had asked questions before but they didn't really ask uh, specific questions about what Jesus was talking about since the disciples were specifically chosen by Jesus they are beginning to understand why they were chosen so now that this is becoming clear they could ask questions that have to do with uh, a more direct understanding of what why they were chosen so um, we talked about uh, quite a bit we can't go over all that we talked about last week or we discussed but we're going to skip down to two things where we got to you until now you have not asked for anything in my name we're going to talk about that in my name part just to emphasize that. Uh, So this is point 1E in my name, and the phrase phrase indicates that the person using it understands the Father's plan. They did not pray in Jesus' name in the Old Testament. So this is obviously a New Testament phrase 
that we uh, have, uh, where Jesus told us directly to use this, this format when it comes to prayer. That plan, and remember, before that, we, we were saying that it indicates that the person knows and understands the Father's plan. I mean, we should know that. And then uh, that phrase also says that the person representing themselves to God with this phrase should recognize two clear truths. And I just want to go over those briefly. One is the salvation component. Christ did all the work for the salvation of man. Anyone who comes to God must come through the person of, and work of Christ. Jesus is our righteousness and justification for all mankind and the propitiation for all our sins. And the, so, so the understanding of that is important, not just for us in the church age, but for everybody in the world uh, who would have the eternal salvation that the Father is offering as a free gift. So you, this is part of the understanding. In fact, you have to know that salvation is by a gift. It is by substitution. It is, it is Christ substituting his work for yours. It is his death and judgment for what could have been your judgment. He took your place. That is why we have a right to uh, be able to come to God and to be able to address and petition God. It is because of the work of Christ. So point number two there was when we approach God, we approach in Christ's accomplishments, not ours. So it's just summing up the salvation component. It helps us understand why we have a right to... Uh, to talk to God. I mean, uh, God cannot be uh, relaxing his standards to accommodate us who are dead in our transgressions and sins and you know, all of that. So what does he do? He, once, once he offers us uh, or he does the work to present salvation to us, then he has to make an offer. So God, the hard thing was for God to do the work. Then he offers it to mankind, which is the method of communication. Of course, he has to have a method of communication in order for us to know about the free gift. So he does. But then once he makes it known, it is up to us at that point uh, in order whether we will choose to believe in Christ and have eternal life or not. So, but notice that when we approach God, it is not in our accomplishments. It is, it is by grace. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, God of works, lest any man should boast. Or uh, in the Titus passage, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So these are things to note when we approach God. And when we say free, that salvation is a gift, when we say it is not of ourselves, we mean it. We're not just saying those words and then getting busy working, trying to prove to God that we, we deserve something. We don't deserve it. We know we don't. And we are saying that we have accepted the free gift. 
And the only standing that we have before God is not because we are doing Christian things. It's not because we're living some Christian life. The only standing that we have before God is because of the work of God on our behalf. It's grace that we can stand in Christ as he's, his uh, righteousness covers us. His substitutionary death on our behalf covers our, our, what we should have uh, experienced. So just clarify. Point number three is the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose is, uh, is another understanding that we in this age have. So those who have been chosen in him before creation in this age particularly stand in Christ. That's unique. So when we say, in Christ's name, not only do we have all that we have understood from our salvation and the reason why we have a right to stand before God and ask him anything, but we also now, in this age, have another reason of understanding why we say, in Christ's name, we pray, or done, or we do something in the name of Christ with the recognition of that. And we're not going to go over all the scriptures we covered last week, but... So point number four, or, uh, yeah, four. Once the plan is revealed, we have special privileges and access to the Father and how we approach God and our standing in the eternal plan. So it, it speaks of greater and things of more depth of the relationship that we have with Christ. We literally, we're not just, you know, recipients of his righteousness and his substitutionary death. We now are as he. We have the position that he has. We are raised uh, far above our principality and power and every dominion that is named and so forth. That is the position we have. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? You know, we could talk about the position that we now have as those who are members of this uh, age, this what we call the church, his body, right? his bride. There's a lot of different metaphors used to, to describe aspects of our relationship. So these are... So think about it. We, we say we're in Christ. That is a new designation. In fact, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Old things are gone. New things have come. So we are a new creation in Christ. That is, that's, even, it speaks more than what, uh, as I said, the salvific work of Christ. It goes beyond that. And hopefully we understand that point because without that understanding, you could just be using that as a tagline at the end of your prayer. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Which, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I'm glad you're using it. But what we are doing is taking time to understand it so that we, uh, when we use it, it just has more meaning for us. 
it is not just words that we speak, you know, ritually. It, it, it is reality for us that we stand in Christ. And this is a part of our heritage. Like he says, you know, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So this goes beyond. This is not salvation. And we can't look at everything in the Bible and think, oh, this is related to how glorious our salvation is. We have to begin to see that some things are beyond salvation. God has a plan. And that plan may not be relative to your salvation. It may be uh, a part of, obviously we're saved, and this is for saved people, but the aim of God is that we come to the full knowledge of the truth. So I hope that that's part of your experience and your understanding. So some other points, when we invoke the name of Christ, it's not only a nice ending to prayer, but it's also our entire approach to God and our recognition of it. That's rich. That, that goes beyond just, you know, speaking some words. And prayer, praying in the name of Christ speaks of our right to pray in his stead. We are his body on the earth. Right? That's, that's who we are. We're, we, we represent Christ here on the earth. It is literally we're praying in Christ's stead. It is Christ praying through us, as it were. And our prayers are in harmonization with the Father's plan, which is now in Christ. So when we say we're praying for in Christ, all we have to do is think about what the work of God is. So we got the Father who has... has uh, credit for having this marvelous plan to bring many sons into glory. We have Christ on whom uh, the Father uh, primarily uses to execute that plan. Without the work of Christ, there is no plan. Full stop. Everything's over. If Christ doesn't do the work that he's supposed to do, the Father's plan is thwarted. We should know that it is on the shoulders of Christ. And it is important that we recognize that. And then we got God the Holy Spirit. His job is to reveal this marvelous plan. Right? Now, first of all, his job was to reveal the, the salvation work of Christ. And if he didn't do a good job in this area, let's just say the Holy Spirit doesn't do a good job, then all the work that God the Father had planned and creation and all of this, you know, getting to the place where he brings out the Jews, uh, the nation Israel. And then he, through uh, that, he brings Christ forth. And Christ comes and does the work, pays for every sin, all that. If the Holy Spirit does not communicate that information, then what? <laughs> it was grand work, all right. But who knows about it? Who is privy to that without the Holy Spirit's work? Not one person can be saved apart from the Holy Spirit enlightening them to the issues of the gospel and them having to make a choice for themselves. If we can't do that, then the Holy Spirit didn't do his job. And the plan of God 
is thwarted. So, but we, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that Christ didn't do his job. We wouldn't say that the Holy Spirit didn't do his job. Because we know they're perfect. They have perfect will when it comes to what their motivations are. is to fulfill the Father's purpose. And so, uh, it is with us. If we are going to join with them in this pursuit, this purpose... Then, and then we are going to represent ourselves as not, oh, I'm praying for, for me, and I insert my name. In my name I pray. In other words, this prayer is for me. And, but by me inserting that the, I'm praying in the name of Christ, it is to say that I am of the same will and purpose of the members of the Trinity. That I concur with their meaning and not only that i want the father's plan to fully come to pass and i am on board with that that is literally what i'm saying so obviously whatever i pray it will be through the ministry that the holy spirit has brought to my attention and that i uh, walk in. So, so for instance, if you're filled with the Spirit, this is a good example of this. If you're filled with the Spirit, that means that you're filled, motivated, influenced by the Spirit's purpose. What is the Spirit's purpose? To fulfill the Father's plan, ultimately. What is Christ's purpose? To fulfill the Father's plan. What is the Father's purpose? To complete and finish the plan, to execute it fully. So when you say that you're praying in the name of Christ, literally, that's what you're saying. So when you pray for things that are not according to the Father's plan, what does James say about it? He says, sometimes we pray amiss. And which, what, does he, what do you mean amiss? Meaning we, we are not praying according to the Father's plan. We're not praying according to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not praying according to the influence of the Spirit. We're praying according to our own will, what we want from our sin nature or something, from the sin nature that still uh, resides with us or has access to tempt us. So, that's why I just wanted to make sure we emphasize that point so we can continue to move on. I, we talked about this last week. I don't think we need to discuss it further, but if you have questions, I certainly would love to entertain them. So point number two, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. <laughs> so the first point is, so ask. Right? So that's what he's saying for us to do. Now, obviously, it's the disciples here that he's asking. I know by... Um, by the reference here, I can also include us. Right? We, we should be able to ask the same way they can ask. <clears throat> so I say, so ask. If God created all things for this purpose, this is the reasoning behind the statement. If God created all things for this purpose, he will most certainly answer any and all requests according to it. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Because when we, when, we, when we break it down, we understand what it is. 
And, and literally, the disciples are coming to, to the knowledge of the Father's plan. And they're coming to the knowledge of their purpose in the Father's plan. So they have a role to contribute something to the Father's plan. Literally, they play a role. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. They get to asking. Get busy asking. In other words, get busy participating in the Father's plan. You know what the Father's plan is now. Start uh, thinking about it. Start allowing your life to be ordered according to it. Start setting up, re resetting up the your values and your priorities so that they align with the Father's plan. I mean, that's exactly what the Father is doing, the Son and the Holy Spirit is doing. They are working toward this end. Are you? Or are you praying, like James says, amiss? Praying for things that uh, you're not even uh, focused on the Father's plan. That's point A. That's the reasoning. You should ask. Now, I also see this as an invitation for us to participate in the Father's plan. God didn't say, well, uh, here's the Father's plan, is to bring many sons into glory, and uh, I'm going to do what I said, and I'm going to get those sons, I'm going to bring them into glory, and sure, sure enough, uh, this is the purpose, right, uh, of all things. Well, there's more to it than that. Once we see how glorious the plan is, and how... Um, well, you know, orchestrated with divine wisdom and, and all of that. We are marveling at the plan, but just just marveling is not enough. We have been invited to participate. That's that's awesome to think about. That somehow your decisions, my decisions about things, can be uh, instrumental in the Father's eternal purpose. Can you imagine that? God is using you, me? It's amazing. Point B, this is battlefield prayer. Once the eternal purpose is completed, there will be no more, right? No more prayers in cooperation needed. God is saying, it's over. <laughs> it's done. Once the rapture happens, it's over. I mean, people can still be on the earth praying and praying for the, you know, the consummation of things, praying for the nation Israel. But God has called out those many sons in the glory. That number will not change. God's purpose has been completed and the church is forever united to the person of Christ. And that, that is a unique event. So when I say battlefield prayer, I'm saying we're on the battlefield. And I don't mean just the battlefield like Israel was on. You know, onward Christian soldiers and all that, right? They kind of frame those songs after uh, Israel's experience. But I'm talking about the battlefield that we have in the church where we don't wrestle just with flesh and blood. We'll get to it. But that thought. Here it is. This is battlefield prayer. Once the eternal purpose is completed, there will be no more 
prayers and cooperation needed. God will have what he desires uh, from the eternal purpose. And I'm just going to quote Ephesians the uh, 6 and 18 through 20. Let's look at that. So he says here, now of course there's lots of other good verses here uh, to read. We could be caught up here. <laughs> it's such great uh, text with pregnant with meaning. But let's look at, we're going to really try to stick to verses uh, that speak to what we're trying to say. And pray in the Spirit. So now, you notice, praying in the Spirit. This is exactly with the influence of the Spirit. Right? This this speaks not just of, well, I'm, and yeah, I heard some people say that this was praying in tongues. I just don't understand why they would say such a thing. Why would you say this is praying in tongues? I don't know. When he says pray in the Spirit, this is literally with the motivation and influence of the Spirit. What's that motivation and influence? That you know the Father's plan and that you are not only on board with it, but you recognize that you're on the battlefield and you are encouraged to, to petition God for whatever you need. And this is what it means, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So this is not just to say that we should pray. God is not saying pray pray if you feel like it or pray, uh, you know, some formal prayer when you get to church. He's saying that battlefield prayer is spontaneous. It, 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 you don't, there's no form or fashion to it. It's literally you're doing the will of God, and when you find that you become, you know, that you feel uncertain, or if there's anything you feel you need, or anxiety, or anything, pray. God's going to work it out because that's what His purpose is all about. Remember, all things were created for this purpose. So don't think God's going to leave you high and dry. Don't think He's just going to abandon you from, for. Uh, any reason, it won't happen. So notice, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. This doesn't matter. You might, here's a prayer. Help. That's a prayer. That's literally. Or, uh, thank you, Lord. He just brought you through some trial or, or some difficulty that you never thought would exist. This is battlefield prayer with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. See, so so uh, Lord's people is reference to all those who are of the same mind. Even though we know everybody who was uh, saved in this age does not have the proper mindset because they don't uh, make a distinction that they are called so that they could be heralding God's eternal purpose. They, they don't understand that. And if they don't know what God's eternal purpose is, they certainly can't be a herald of it. Certainly not. So, uh, but this is for people who do understand, who are, are soldiers in the battle with you. And we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities and powers and so forth. So our struggle is different from what Israel had to face. It's different. But we can say that 
once we come to the knowledge of God's intentions, the, the heart of God, we are armed with far more than Israel ever could know. They would, we are wrestling in the heavenly realms, maintaining what God is, was, was uh, creating. His plan was to create in us from the beginning, before creation. Before angels were even created, this was the thought of God. So pray also for me, verse 19, that whenever I speak, now this is a good way of understanding what kinds of prayers that Paul is talking about. So he gives an example of that right in the context. And here it is. But whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Uh, there, there's the flavor of what Paul is trying to tell us. What is the mystery of the gospel? It is not just the gospel, but it is the gospel according to the revelation of the mystery. It's not just the gospel, but that is what the mystery of the gospel is. The gospel is not a mystery. The gospel was never a mystery. The gospel was preached from the time Adam and the woman in the garden sinned. God gave the gospel. And the gospel continues throughout the ages and in the church age, and it will continue into the last person born. So what is the mystery? Well, the mystery is Paul's use of uh, that, where he reminds people that we have a very special calling before God. It wasn't revealed to anybody but us. It wasn't revealed to Israel. We shouldn't go to we shouldn't even go to the Old Testament and expect that Israel is is going to tell us about the gospel. I hear some background noise. I'm asking uh put your phone on mute. Let me see what that is. Yeah. So, in case so in, in this this thought, let's go back. Hopefully um, that point is understood. I mean, it is an important point because battlefield prayer is what we're invited to uh, join with God in as he is executing the plan. You know, we are, the, uh, we are on the ground now. We and God, the Holy Spirit, that is. Point C, and you will receive Remember, the battlefield extends beyond this earth, and we should know that our prayers and cooperation matter. So I gave Ephesians 3.10 here. Ephesians 3.10, I'm going to read that. Uh, 3.10 says, His intent was that now through the church, now notice, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So when God is saying that the church is used as a means or an instrument to make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that is an integral role. I mean, that part that we're playing here is not just, well, God could do it with or without the church. He's, he's using the church. We're a part of that role. That God is counting on us to fulfill. 
And we also have to recognize that uh, we are have a call. We have a calling. Uh, a calling means we are responsible to God. And there will be a judgment to determine um, what, how we have done, how have we fulfilled that responsibility. At the end, it is not to determine whether we'll be lost or saved. It is to determine whether we will receive rewards or not. So this, this is God's, in, uh, he's, his intent was through the church. That these angels, principalities and powers, that's angels. So we can't see our impact on angels. And how do we wrestle with them? Because these are questions that are good for us as we are on the ground. Because, well, first, we wrestle with them by maintaining, holding forth the word of life, the truth that is about the Father's eternal purpose. Angels didn't know that. By beholding us, executing the plan, which is uh, the only way we can execute the plan is through the influence of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. That is the normal Christian life. The only way that can happen is, is that our minds are fixed on the Father's plan. It's not just fixed on whether we're obedient in terms of what Moses did or said or the Mosaic Law. It has to do with the special purpose that God, the Holy Spirit, is now influencing us to execute. And so as we do that, even though we're here on the ground and we don't see the impact that we have among the angelic realm, we can't see it, but we know that it's there. But we just can't. It, it is hidden from us. For instance, uh, I always go to this verse, one sinner who repents or changes his mind about Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. Just imagine the impact of that. That such record is being kept and monitored about who believes in Christ. When one person believes in Christ in this age, or in, the pre in any age, angels rejoice. I, that just tells you, you know, people think, wow, you know, I don't, my life doesn't really matter. Um, nobody knows who I am. Uh, we could say all those things, but really, God knows. In fact, there's another verse that says, God knows those who are his, who belong to him. He knows. And then you got Revelation, you know, where he talks to the churches. I know your works. I know what you're doing. That's what he's saying. Don't think I don't. I know what you're doing. I see you. And so we don't want to think God is somehow distant from us. He is not. He's right there with us. He's in us even to that extent. So it's important to note that. So uh, point that point C is we will receive uh, and our cooperation matters. It matters. And then 612, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So the, the elect angels are rejoicing with us as they are seeing the eternal purpose of God. The evil angels are struggling with us as they come to grips with what we now have brought to the table as those who the Father 
has called from eternity past. We're struggling. They're fighting us. They're trying to thwart the Father's plan. So they, the fact that they didn't know what the Father was aiming at, yeah, they, they thought that they were um, against God. But now God has revealed what he's really after, what his real purpose is, and now they're trying to thwart that. Any way they can, they're trying to be against God and whatever God is, is all about. And if they hate God in that manner, just know that they hate you. So that's why we struggle. So how do we overcome them? We overcome them not in our own power. We've already overcome them because of Christ. Christ has overcome the world. All we have to do, all God is asking us to do is walk in his steps, the steps he has already laid out for us. I'm not saying create your own will and plan in this world. Christ already overcame the world. He's a conqueror, and you stand in him as a conqueror. But you have an opportunity to now walk through this world, and you can show what your dedication, what your commitment is to the Father's plan. That's what we call love. Love speaks of our motivation for the Father's plan. And you get to exercise that. Well, of course, and those who do will be rewarded, and those who don't, won't. Point D, let's keep moving. We who are the recipients of the Father's... um, we We who are the recipients of the Father's eternal purpose are invited to participate in the Father's eternal purpose. Talk about skin in the game. Imagine that. Like I think we sort of brought this out earlier. That's the point that we who are the recipients. In other words, God has wanted to create us. He took from Jews and Gentiles to create one new body. And that's who we are. Um, we're not Jew anymore. We're not Gentile anymore. We're something different from all of that. We're, and then we have to wonder, what is it he made of us? We're puzzling over all of that and the mechanics of how he did it and how how marvelous it is. And it's how great it is what God has made of us. But guess what? He's offering us as well, those who are the recipients, uh, a role to say you you can play a role. It's not just about getting you bringing you forward as sons, and he does it all by grace, right? The baptism of the Spirit happens to everyone who believes in Christ. It's not something that, you know, this is where some people were saying, once you believe in Christ, you have to labor for a while, and then if you do this, and if you're obedient, and if you tarry, and all these things, you can get the second blessing, which is the baptism of the Spirit. And, and, all of that is to say that, no, that is not the case. Everybody who believes in Christ is baptized. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, all, all of us were baptized by one spirit into one body. Right? This is not some progressive thing that happens in your, your, your spiritual walk. This is immediate. Now, you begin to come to the knowledge of what, what happened there. Uh, that is progressive. Like Paul said in, to the, to, in Romans, what, do you not know that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? 
Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So people cannot know or understand as a matter of teaching and coming to the knowledge of it, but it happens the moment you believe in Christ. You're baptized. You're, you are a member of the body of Christ at that point. So we are recipients of this. God wanted many sons in the glory, and he took it all this time to get to us and to call us out as sons. But now he's telling us we can participate in that. We can be ambassadors for Christ. And when we say ambassadors for Christ, we're not just following orders, but we're ambassadors for the new creation in Christ. Knowing that if a person believes in Christ in this age, they're going to be baptized into his body. They're going to become a new creation. That's what we're campaigning for. That's what we are heralds of, to let people know that there's this new calling that God has. It includes Jews and Gentiles. doesn't matter. I'm talking to the Gentile, talking to the Jew, right? This, none of this matters, whether you're Jew or Gentile. All those distinctions matter greatly prior to this. All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Um, so point E is, and your joy will be complete. Your joy will be complete. So we ought to have joy in the course of our struggles. And that's Philippians. I want to read Philippians 1, 27 through 30. We have read it before. I think it corresponds to what we're talking about in, these, in this verse. 1, 27 through 30. Paul talked about, uh, for me to live is Christ. For me to live, it is Christ. And to die is gain. Right? He, he said that earlier. But in 27, he gets through that whole thought. And he says, whatever happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith, as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Notice that word, it has been granted to you. Not just to believe, yeah, it's a privilege. Thank you, Father, for sacrificing uh, the Son and judging our sins in him. Thank you, uh, Christ, for all you've done. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for enlightening us to it. But now it has been granted to you, not only to receive the work of, of, of God, but also to suffer for him. And that, now that suffering for him has to do with you growing up in Christ as a new creation. Because anybody who uh, lives godly in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. But it is granted. It's not a bad thing to suffer for him in this world. It is a good thing. That's why the language here 
is it has been granted to you not on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, it's been granted to you to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. So it is not just about Paul saying, I believe in Christ and I'm saved. No, no. Paul's gospel was different. Because the people who believed in Christ could be Gentile, they could be Jew, it didn't matter. Now, for the Jews, it did matter. And that's why they hated Paul. It's such vigor. Because they saw him as a traitor to Judaism. And traitors are worthy of ten deaths as opposed to one. and Because they are betraying the very ground that the Jews stood upon. So in any case, Paul was not somebody who betrayed Christ. He was just somebody who followed Christ through the signs, the wonders, the miracles. He followed Christ. And Christ led him to the new creation. Since you are going through the same struggle that I had. So they knew what Paul was going through, the Philippians. In fact, they supported Paul in this. And Paul says, in one place, he says, no other church supported me like these Macedonians did. No other church did. Paul singles them out. In fact, the whole letter of Philippians, and even though it's filled with, with doctrines that are so pertinent to our walk, it is a thank you letter from the Apostle Paul to them. That's really the purpose of writing this letter. So they understood what, why Paul was in jail. We saw it earlier. For, for this I am in chains. This is this whole thing, it's not just preaching the gospel. It's, it's the fact of what Paul said and how he was introducing the Father's eternal purpose, which included Jews and Gentiles in one body. Jews couldn't stomach that. They didn't even get further than that to understand the great privileges that God has for us. And not only that, that this was the Father's eternal purpose from the very beginning. They didn't even get to that point. They just were mad that you're going to say that these Gentiles don't have to obey the Mosaic Law. You're trying to destroy the Mosaic Law, and we're going to destroy you as a result. So since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have, the Philippians were supporting Paul. They were siding with Paul, not only with their prayers, but monetarily, they were willing to send money to Paul to, so that God's purpose could be accomplished. They got behind it, yeah. That was important. And then uh, Ephesians 6.12, 6.12, I think I read that already uh, in a previous one where it talks about our struggle, right? We're struggling here, right? But joy is... Not just, um, joy is just not just the absence of problems. Or people talk about happy, if I could just be happy. Well, what do they mean? They mean, well, if I could just have a smooth life, not filled with ups and downs and turmoil and tribulations and trials and all these things. That's not the joy that we have. The joy that we have is cognizant of all the struggles. Right? That's what's important about this joy. 
So point F describes it in more terms. Why were the disciples willing to suffer for the name of Christ? Why were they willing to do it? Joy, joy. And we read Acts. We're going to look at it real quick. <clears throat> Maybe we'll skim over it. Acts chapter 5, since we know it so well. Verses 41 and 42. So it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They had already been whooped, right? With the cat of nine tails. Told, commanded, do not go out and talk about the things you have been talking about. And they, 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 they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So understand, that's what, where you really see the joy. Just like with Christ, we always, the classic verse is in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him, he despised the cross, scorning its shame. And is set down at the right hand of God. So, for the joy. In other words, he understands that he is accomplishing the Father's purpose. And, and that through him now, these many sons can be brought into glory. He understands that. So, the, the, the cognizance, the knowledge of that is where the joy comes in. That's where it's important. So point G, joy is not only a sense of God's presence, but also confirmation of it. Just like the disciples, they knew why they were getting uh, or going through suffering. They knew it. It wasn't, well, I don't know why these things are happening to me. Woe is me. Woe is me. No, they understood it. And then as, and, and they were willing to suffer under it. Joy does not mean the absence of problems. It means the, the cognizance of the, the fact that you're doing God's will. It is a confirmation of problems. And going through those problems represents the, literally the same steps that Christ went through as he was walking in this world. Or said another way in Romans, Romans chapter 8. Here, so it says, uh, this is verse, I think it was 16, 17, so 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. That's who we are. And co-heirs with Christ, if indeed, co-heirs, meaning we're, 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 well, he says what he means. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It's confirmation. You're doing God's will. And this is the will of God. And you, you understand what's going on in your life. And that is where you begin to share the joy of God. Now you're starting to see what Christ had. He says, the joy I'm going to leave with you is not like the world gives. It's my joy. Now, Christ was going to go through tremendous sufferings. And we already said earlier. It says that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering and grief and the people turned away from him and were ashamed of him and all of that. We said that earlier, and but even in the midst of that, that's the outside. But Christ is saying, on the inside, I know the Father's with me. 
and there's a joy that Christ had. And he says, I'm going to give that joy to you. It's not the absence of those circumstances. He said, uh, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Yeah. In this world you're going to have trouble, but have joy. Have my joy and my victory over this world. And your walk is going to be colored with the same suffering I had to go through. But don't think it's bad. It's an acknowledgement that I, that you are walking in my steps. It is the same thing I went through when I was here. So that's more of what this joy is. It's not just, like I said, the absence. It, it is not only a sense of God's presence, but it is also confirmation of it. God comes near to you. And that joy. And, and then... Uh, point H says that your joy will be complete. So we have certainly discussed this word complete before. Ephesians 1.23, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Colossians 1.25, I'm writing to you where he says, uh, Paul says, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, or the completed word of God. So I just took that word complete, which is pleuroo, and just to understand, here's a definition. The definition was so long by Thayer, I just felt like, well, I'll copy the whole thing. But I don't have to read the whole thing. I think you can read it for yourself, and that would be appropriate here. But just to understand the importance of that word, it, it, it is really something that says if we have this fullness but he's saying that your joy can be complete in other words you may not realize what's going on in this world but when you do realize it when you do see why you have uh, are suffering the things that you are suffering and your resolve to continue to do God's will no matter what in this world you're saying to God I give you my life Whatever influence I have, whoever I am in this life, I'm giving it to you. Then we can experience that joy. Doesn't matter, come what may, whatever happens. Like Paul said, whatever happens, doesn't matter whether I live or die. This joy will be a part of my experience. This is where I am. My joy will be complete filled up to the full. And um, so I won't, won't even go through a definition of this. I will request that you take some time and read through some of the definitions and how it's used in the Word of God. And then we'll get to point J. Reflect on how important this Word is to the Father's plan and our participation in it. So... That participation comes with asking, participating in the Father's plan. If you just ask for things that are according to your will, that you're not going to get joy. I don't even care if it works out that you got those things. That's not it. That's not the joy we're talking about. We're talking about a joy that's cognizant of the Father's eternal purpose and your role in it. And the fact that you know that the God of the universe 
the eternal God and Father, sees you and, be, and, and is allowing you to have skin in the game, to participate on the field, on the battlefield, it, that is something that is, uh, it goes beyond the time and place that we live. I mean, we're talking about eternal creation, all things, all things exist because of this purpose. And you have a role to play in that. Yeah, that's, that's way beyond. Like it says, all creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And it's not just the uncovering of here they are, but these sons of God also have rolled up their sleeves and began to work according to the Father's plan. It is marvelous. So I will have to close with these thoughts. We'll continue next week in John chapter 16, verse 25. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We, we, we're privileged and honored to be a part of church, to be a part of your body, uh, to be united to you in this very special relationship, to be those many sons that have been called or chosen by you from eternity past, before time began. So we thank you for the, this privilege. We could never repay you for, for this or somehow worked up to this. This is something you have graced us out in Christ with. And we all we can do is be appreciative and show that we love you by the execution of the plan in our own personal lives. Father, we thank you for this church. Word is truth. We pray for each member, wherever they may be. We pray also for believers in the world, wherever they may be in the world. Praying, praying for those who, who are of the same mindset, that all, even if they're not, that they will come to the knowledge of the truth. So we thank you for the life that we have here and, and the privilege of knowing these important matters. Father, we pray for us, uh, the church as well, those who are suffering among us. We pray for your healing. We're, we're praying especially, Father, for Kenny, who went to the hospital recently. Uh, we just want to call his name out at this particular point in time, uh, lifting him up in prayer, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.